so crossing the street, like the simplest things, crossing the street saying thank you, someone holds the door open or you hold the door open for someone, like you know, you have no idea what your small talk or conversation will do for someone who mm. thought differently about people yeah. that look like you. Um, and just giving people as few reasons as possible not to support what you do, but also just not to attach your religion to your character. Or if they're going to attach your religion to your character, make your character so beautiful that they attach the image of Islam to that beautiful character instead of what the media is portraying. Welcome, dear friends, to chapter 26 of the Let's Give a Damn podcast. I hope things are going swimmingly for you and yours. Summer is coming to a close, and I couldn't be more excited about that. Autumn is my favorite season, as it should be for everyone. It's my family's favorite season, and we simply can't wait to be able to keep our hoodies and our jeans on for the next few months. Very excited. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to mention something that some of us may be experiencing firsthand, but most of us are probably observing from afar. Hurricane Harvey has decimated and devastated many parts of Texas, and I know it's still raining, so it's still happening. It has been so sad to see videos and pictures and updates on Twitter and Facebook and other places. I actually read two days ago that the authorities from Port Arkansas, I believe it was Port Arkansas, told the evacuees not to come back because there's nothing to come back to. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine leaving your town because of a storm and then being told, don't bother coming back. There's literally nothing here for you and having to rebuild again. And I saw a video yesterday of a guy holding his son. He and his son were helicoptered out of their town and he was thanking God and he was very appreciative and it made me cry a little bit. But the reporter asked him, so what's next? Like what happens? And he said, I have no idea. We have no home. We have nothing. We, we literally own what's on our backs right now. And it was just him and his son and I think one bag in his hand. I hope that you will consider contributing to the devastation and eventual rebuild of many places in Texas. You know, there are so many great places that donate your money, but I would like to give you a recommendation today. My friends at the Legacy Collective are doing incredible work to help so many. You can check out the work they're doing specifically with Hurricane Harvey by going to this web address, legacycollective.org forward slash Harvey. That's legacycollective.org forward slash Harvey or by visiting them on Twitter at Legacy Collect, at Legacy Collect. And if you're the praying type, please pray. This is not something that the people of Texas will recover from tomorrow or next month or even next year. This is going to take years to recover from, and that really sucks. Okay, there's really no way to, there's no real good way to transition out of that, but I am indeed super thrilled that you get to listen to to my conversation with a very special person today, Adam Kafif. What's super special is after our conversation, I will have recorded podcast conversations with a husband and a wife. His wife, his new wife, is Nora Tagori. A few weeks ago, I interviewed her while I was in New York City. What's super cool is in getting to know Adam 
two days later, I texted him and said, dude, can, can we meet up? I'm still in the area. Can we meet up to record a podcast conversation with you? So on my way back down the East Coast, I stopped in Washington, D.C. We met up in the conference room of their apartment building and we recorded a conversation together. Adam founded a company called Listen Up Clothing. They make message-driven clothing. And what's so cool, my favorite part is how generous this company is. Radical generosity is a word I like to use about many people and many organizations. Definitely applies to Adam and Listen Up. You'll hear much more about that in just a little bit. Actually, right now, I'm gonna shut up so we can get right into this podcast. It's a fun one, so no more waiting. My name is Nick Lapara, and this is my conversation with Adam Kafif from Listen Up Clothing. Thank you for being with me today. Thanks for uh, having me. We, were, we just saw each other three days ago yeah. in New York, and your wife is here, Nora, and that talk will have already come out by the time you listen to this one. Very excited about what you guys are doing. Um, so take us back to the beginning. I would love to, before we get to talk about your clothing and your the ways you see yourself giving a damn in the world and so on and so forth, let's talk about how it all started. So give us a picture into the you know, your family, your friends, your siblings, experiences in your life, the things that shaped you to be the person you are today sitting in front of me. Sure. So my father is from Morocco. My mom comes from an Italian Irish background. So my father was Muslim and my mother was not growing up. And so I grew up with a kind of both perspectives. Um, it was more my father teaching us about religion and my mom having a passive role in religion. So I grew up Muslim, but I was able to see into my mother's perspective and her family's perspective because my grandmother's Catholic and my father's perspective and his family's perspective because they're all Muslim. Um, so while there's a lot of things in common, there's obviously things that are different in the way that they handle things. My father, of course, is an immigrant. So he comes over with not only like immigrant hustle, but mm. just immigrant values of the way kids are raised, the way families are built in Morocco versus here. And so now what's interesting is now that I'm married, I see how much I actually learned and take from my father mm. and do now. Cause now when I do things like, oh, my dad used to do that. But mm. like when you're a kid, you never actually recognize that. Yeah. But yeah, so a lot of things that I do, I base on perspective and I attribute my perspective growing up to the work and why I do what I do. So we would we would celebrate Christmas and then a few months later we would celebrate Eid, which is the Muslim holiday. So it was, uh, it was really cool. But I think that that gave me kind of a leg up on a lot of other people who grew mm. up with, with a, like a, a similar household. Like their parents are very similar. Um, I went into different situations looking from like even an outsider's perspective sometimes um, or a Muslim perspective or an immigrant's perspective and how certain things can affect other people around the world. Um, just because my father would talk about that and I would go to Morocco and see uh, whether it was beautiful scenery that we don't get here or extreme poverty that we also don't see here on a certain level. So that perspective helped me and my father always told me, do something you love and do something that benefits others. And so I knew that whatever I was going to do, I would try to combine those two lessons that he taught me. And growing up around 2004, so I was about 10, my parents actually start dropped everything and started an Italian cookie company based off my grandmother's recipe. Hmm. Total like leap of faith. And that's how they support. Where are you at this point when you're talking, when, when you so grow up? So I was up in 10. When and, they started and, and, the business. And where, where were you um, 
located? Oh, like, where, we were, where did you live? I grew up in Massachusetts okay, okay. Um, until about two months ago. I lived okay. in Mass my okay. whole life. And so they took this leap of faith and they supported three kids off of simple Italian cookies. And that just uh, through faith and other things that my dad can attribute it to. Um, my mom would wake up at 4 or 5 a.m. every morning, make cookies. My dad would do the business end of things and hmm. it just blew up. And I've seen them grow from warehouse to warehouse to warehouse. So the reason I'm mentioning that is because I knew I always wanted to go into business. I was surrounded by Got business it. at a young age. Um, before I knew what entrepreneurship meant, before I knew what marketing meant, I knew that I wanted to do something in business. Whether it was my parents' business, it was a different story. I'm not still figuring that out, but I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And then I would eventually take my father's teachings, do something you love and do something that benefits others into that. And yeah. then it just so happened that I did it through clothing. Talk about, you mentioned two things that I really like to hear, uh, immigrant hustle and immigrant values. Explain that a little bit more because a lot of people listening don't, don't have that context. Right. I do. My dad was an immigrant slash refugee from Guatemala. Um, and I have a lot of him inside of me and it's manifested itself in so many ways. So talk about what, what you mean by that and how that's influenced your life. Hamilton's one of my favorite musicals. We're a big musical family. And I, I'm so in love with the Have immigrants. We get the job. Huh? Have you gone to Hamilton? No, okay. not yet. I was going to say, well, that's Have you? No. Oh, yeah. I mean, we are going to go. That's one of our biggest regrets in our life is not seeing the original cast. But by the time we really got into it, and it's just been a whirlwind of a year, like it just yeah. to take the time and the, the money and everything it, yeah. to like I mean, it, everything is, it, it just made it really insane to go and see it. We'll see it eventually. But the, I mean, the whole context of in the whole, the whole story, but then the immigrants, we get the job done thing. I've, that's been part of my entire life and people that I've surrounded myself with and tried to surround myself with are these being over and over again. Many of them can point back to, Oh, my dad, my mom, my grandpa, my grandma. And it just, it, it passes down the bloodline, you know? So talk about that for a, a few seconds. Yeah, definitely. So my father came over when he was, I think 18. So came over for education. Uh, long story short, couldn't pay for education, had to work a typical, well, not typical, but a very stereotypical uh, immigrant's job, which is convenience store. Mm -hmm. um, but what's interesting about that is that through his stories, he always tell me how like righteous he was to his customers and things like that, just because of his values from home. But he would end up going just hustling around, around the clock before he met my mom, while he met my mom, when he was married. Um, and then ended up being the owner of five of the franchises. So that in itself is an immigrant story before he even started his own business. Um, but just like coming over here with nothing, not knowing the language, he literally learned English through the music he was listening to. That's how he learned his language. Hmm. Um, he had to pay for himself by working a graveyard shift at a convenience store. I mean, I always tell him that when I write my third book, it'll be about him. So just that story yeah. hit my mom. But my mom also came from a very low class income household. And so her her hustle values are very similar to my father's in a different way, different perspective, but they mesh really well together and they do whatever it takes to get the job done. So even when my father is running a business now, he's getting down and dirty with his employees, with everyone that's under him because he knows what that's like. And I mean, we have immigrant employees and he knows how to treat them, what they need for their family, um, for their own belongings, uh, for their own, um, like I said, families. But yeah. I mean, it's just doing whatever it takes to provide for that one son that you yeah. have at the time when yeah. you're newly married. Um, and then 
the values and just in terms of family, like in Morocco, and I mean, my dad now, mother always comes first and then mother comes second and third. Mm. And it's very family centric. It's interesting because in like American culture, you you grow up being taught to get ahead by any means necessary. Any and, means necessary, um, yeah. So being able to to drive and be successful, but also bring it back to the roots and the people that actually brought you into this world and, and kept you in this world and kept you safe and allowed you to go to America when you were 18 and leave your own mother. So just there's so much... Um, I'm probably missing so much of sure, what I, sure. but that's the... It's such an interesting conversation and we won't get into it for two reasons. One, this is not what the podcast is about. And two, it's a lengthy conversation. But the, the reality is you said many things that are so true about getting doing whatever it takes to get it done, which is something that is so interesting to me in our current political climate and the conversation. So many people clamoring for, you know, they need, they want the government to provide jobs for them. We need jobs, we need jobs, we need jobs. And, and this this team of saviors right here at the top are going to provide that versus this immigrant mentality, which is, I mean, I, you, you guys were in New York City a few days ago, so was I. I walked around Manhattan, Brooklyn, all over the place, just all over, just observing, walking into shop after shop after shop after shop, just looking at who, who owns this thing, who's caring for this thing, who is it? 99% of them are immigrants that came over and said, we want to be here, this land of opportunity, and it is in a lot of ways. I'm not discounting that. America offers something that no other country on earth offers clearly, but they came here. They didn't wait for a handout. They didn't wait for somebody to say, here's a job for you. Cool. I'll do it. No, they are still, they, they have a, a pharmacy or an acupuncture shop or a convenience store or a flower shop, you know, in one of the most expensive cities in the world. And they're like rocking it, you know, or in your case in Boston and whatever. So I just think that's a very key. I mean, that's an important reason why you are the way you are today. So I wanted and, to. And I mean, the thing is like the the lows of what we go through in terms of job and, and financial situation here is like a mid to high in some other places. Right. So my like, yeah. In places around the world where they're making, they're trying to go from $2 a day to $5 yeah, a day, right? Yeah, their perspective is like, this is so much better than what I had. And then I can get into, I can go to a convenience store, get in a cab where there might be an immigrant driver or an immigrant cashier and be like, okay, one of these people will be running a company just like my father one day. Like they will have that drive that takes them to the American dream. So it could be anybody. Yeah. How do you describe who you are and what you do? So I tell people that I'm a branding guy and clothing is my creative outlet. So okay. one thing I really, so as I mentioned, my family business, one thing they didn't have was marketing and branding. They kind of just mm -hmm. roll. It was just right. like a like most grassroots yeah. type of yeah. thing. Um, so I knew that, that was like a gap that they didn't have. And that was something naturally that I just kind of attracted to. Um, so that's why I studied in at Babson. But so that's what I would say what I do is branding and just like telling stories through. I, I can get into the whole clothing. But yeah, yeah, we'll get there. Um, but who I am, I would just say. Uh, that's a loaded question. But one thing I always pray for, I can put it this way, is for my business to benefit others more mm. than it benefits myself. There you go. So I guess that's... Yeah, no, that's hugely important. That how you yeah, because yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're doing it through, and we'll get into some of those ways that you're doing it. But I feel like I see that mentality just in the little bit I know about you and just you know looking online and just seeing what you've created and how you're doing that and how it's rolling out. It's clear that it this is for people, right? At the end of the day, you're not doing it for you know the, the paycheck. And, uh, and that might come, right? Like paycheck and wealth and riches and whatever might come from this, but it's not primarily there. And that's why we're talking today because I'm not interested in just talking to anybody about building cool businesses and building cool brands, but it's the people that are doing that through, you know, with the primary intent of serving other people and loving other people well. So let's talk about 
clothing now. Design slash clothing or just clothing or however you want to tell the story of, yeah, the clothes that you make and the designs that you come up with. So I was 15. Uh, I was in high school. I was collecting this local brand t-shirt. It's called Johnny Cupcakes. And they had Mm -hmm. their first store two blocks from my high school. I would go in there and just buy anything that they released. It was ridiculous. Um, Super rad stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Johnny's awesome. But that's that's how I kind of got into that whole, I guess, that niche market of streetwear, urbanwear, lifestyle apparel, like tees, hoodies, graphic tees. Um, And at that same time, I was just getting into hip hop and Lupe Fiasco was one of my favorite artists because I didn't know this at the time, but he was Muslim. So that helped me like just support him even more. But he was always someone that when an entire industry is going one way, whether it's in terms of like drugs, misogyny, Lupe was going towards telling stories and positive messages through his music. Um, So that was something that I really connected with because I know that if I was going to run a business, I wouldn't be able to go in the same direction as many things in terms of sex, drugs, alcohol, things I don't believe in. I would never put on a front and and promote. So Lupe was standing out and excelling at the same time because a lot of people that stand out don't necessarily make it to the top like he was at the time when I was in high school. So that was something that I really looked up to. And Johnny, the same way, because while you have streetwear and urbanwear brands that are putting maybe girls on their shirt, promoting just the wrong lifestyle, Johnny was promoting something completely different. So those two, when my friend came to me and said, you like Johnny so much, why don't you just start your own brand? It was a natural fit to combine the music, positive aspect of, of Lupe and the positive aspect of Johnny and combine it in one. And I was really into music. And so I decided to create a brand that revolved around music. So that's why when I brought you the shirt, it came in a boombox package. Um, our collections that we release, we call albums. Each shirt is a different track. So it brings nice. up. So that's what I said when I'm a branding person. I love telling a story or creating this concept to show the customer how much effort we're putting in to make them happy. It's not, I mean, it is fun for me to do it, but it's fun to see someone's reaction when they realize that they're walking into a record label instead of a t-shirt company. So that's how the brand started was those two people really helped influence and shape the early brand. And then of course I brought in my father's teaching, which was do what you love, do something that benefits others. And so from there I decided that a portion of my profit would be donated to charity. And at first it was 10, then I raised it to 50 just to challenge myself and push myself further. You went from 10% to 50? Yeah. That's a little bit. It's, of a, a, jump. it's a big jump, but it was it. My thinking at the time was, I'll have to work five times as hard to make that ten percent back. And that is now fifty, so I have to work five times as hard. Yeah. Um, if I'm eventually reaching for a financial goal, it'll push me to work double because I'm giving half of that to a cause that is deserving of it. But the way that I wanted to twist it was. I didn't want to pick a charity like breast cancer because everyone that comes to the site, not everyone right. is affected by that. Sure. So when you go on the site, you actually get to choose out of, right now it's it's down to three, but it was 10 and we're working on building that up. I can explain that later, but yeah. you choose what charity we donate to. So if you're, and we choose charities from all aspects of life so that there's a chance that your friend, your family member is affected by one of the causes on our site. So not only do you get an incredibly high quality shirt, the package, the whole music concept, but you get to donate or we donate on your behalf that 50% to profit and you get to choose where it goes. Yeah. So it's just a whole encompassing experience. And I guess our temporary slogan is your experience doesn't end when you click checkout because you get the whole experience in the box and then the money goes somewhere else. Yeah, it's not some lame packaging. You yeah. Know, it comes I mean, beat that's, up and you rip it open and 
That's one Grab of my biggest pet peeves is buying a shirt that was $40 and getting it in a plastic yeah. bag. Yeah. I spent $40. Yeah. The shirt is not worth $40. No, 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 no. Yeah. So, so um, let's talk about the charity aspect of this for a little bit. So, I'm, so there are obviously because of your faith and because of your values, there are obviously charities that you won't put on there. I, I assume there are some that, you, you know, you, have, has anyone pushed back on that or said, why don't you include this thing or this cause? All the time, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I haven't had any pushback in terms of why are you supporting a certain right. cause? It's more like it's why, more, why are you, you not? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot of charities that support specific regions like Syria or Palestine. Um, and there's a lot of people saying, why don't you donate to a charity? And my whole thing is if I donate to one country, I don't have to donate to all of them. But what's that saying about the importance of the lives and all of the other ones? So I try to play this neutral game um, of, of something of charities that are more all encompassing. I try not to choose uh, region, regional charities. Um, and right now we're actually working with smaller charities. Instead of the top charity of each segment, for example, each market. So like Jimmy Fund would be at the top of the cancer. Um, whatever the breast cancer awareness is would be. I'm trying to choose like mid-tier, yeah. lower tier that need the yeah. money. And that will be as willing to promote us as so cross promoting is really big right now. That's why we whittled it down to three. We whittled yeah. it down to the three that are willing to work with us on a social media schedule to cross promote because we want to reach their su supporters. Right. And they obviously want to tap into our network. Um, but yeah, so to answer your question, it's more of like, why don't you support? Actually, randomly, we got why do you support Greenpeace a long time ago? And I just chose Greenpeace as like the environmental, uh, but they sent me like tons of articles and stuff. So I don't know. Some people have beef with. Right. How do you choose, like, how do you choose to design X, Y, or Z? It all always went back. Well, I was designing when I was in high school. And my whole thing was, again, treating it like the brand is an artist, a rap or, or musician. Musicians sing about what they're seeing or rap about what they're seeing at the time. So my whole thing was I was going to put designs on my shirt that my friends, my family, people around me were dealing with. So whether it was trouble with identity or their religion or um, drugs and alcohol, things like that, I wanted to represent on designs. And now that I've kind of traveled a little bit more and seen a little bit more, everything still relates to things that I've seen. I'm not going to put something on a design that I don't personally know about or I'm not educated about. Mm. Um, but a lot of things are every design relates to something that I value or something in my values. And I try for every design to speak on a social cause, whether it's globally or just within our local community. And a lot of them are parodies of famous icons that you've seen, which helps grow the brand recognition. So the shirt that I'm wearing is actually a Drake logo. Instead of six God, it's one God, because my whole thing was you have all these little kids calling Drake a God. But really, there's only in my mm -hmm. religion, yeah. in many religions, there's only one God. Right. So a lot of famous logos we make parodies of to kind of catch your eyes like, oh, that looks really familiar. What is it? But it says something different. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how the brand started. And we weave that in a lot. Yeah. Those listening to this podcast are, and I've talked with them all the time, so I know this to be true. They're a group of very ambitious people that don't want to be silent about things that matter and want to give a damn in ways that, are, that you know they feel passionate about. Based on your experience, things you've learned, the things you're learning currently, give us a few ways to jumpstart giving a damn. Things that if, if someone listening is saying like, well, I'm kind of stuck in a rut. I really like watching four or five shows at a time and I waste too much time doing it. And like, what, what can we do? 
what can they do? What can we do to just begin taking steps toward that? You and your wife obviously live a life that is very focused on others. And, you know, whether that's through, you know, everything, speaking, writing, uh, vlogs, uh, clothing, it, it, it's, it seems like it's an all-encompassing mission for you too. Yeah, what are some things that you could just throw out there? They don't have to be profound. They don't have to be, you know, just what are some things that, that they could do to begin down that path? I think there's a couple things that I would say in terms of psychologically or mentally. One thing that Noor, my wife, always helps with is gratitude. Just kind of thinking of three things a day that you're grateful for. And maybe mm. that will hardwire your brain. Um, but the other thing that I'm more interested in is if you say something is your passion, would you do it? for years without any money. Mm. Um, so if somebody is watching those shows instead of doing their passion because they don't see any money in it, it's not your passion. It's something that you enjoy doing. Yeah. I enjoy playing basketball, but it's not my passion. My right. passion is not making money off clothing, but making enough for it to sustain itself and yeah. travel around the world and help people. So my advice is your passion can exist outside. If you have responsibilities outside of your nine to five job, you can go and change the world by changing your local community first with your passion after work. So if your passion is art, do that after work. Don't do the Netflix thing. Mm -hmm. Like be willing to do it for free. Yeah. I mean, money, one of my favorite quotes is money isn't everything, but not having it is. And so that's what a lot of people see when they look at their passion. There's no money in it. Right. But it only takes for the right person to notice at the right time yep. if you're really hustling. And that's what happened with a 16-year-old kid that was printing shirts in a sweaty studio. The right person or the right people noticed and it's where it is now. But my whole thing is if you're willing to do your passion or what you call your passion for free for years and never make money off of it, then that's your passion. You should do it. If not, then you should probably reconsider what you think calling your passion is. Yeah, I love how Gary V um, talks about it's not about the nine to five. It's about the five to nine. Yeah. Like what you're going to do when no one's watching when no one's asking you to, no one's having you check, you know, clock in and clock out. Those are the things, in my opinion, that people should be giving a damn about, you know, pursue that. And I think it's just, for a lot of people, it, it it's a little bit of laziness because they don't even want to get to the point where they whittle down what those things are, right? They have these general ideas. They want to get on, you know, the, the Twitter and the internets and share all of their wisdom about X, Y, or Z issue, right? But that's easy to, you know, use our thumbs to tweet out something. That's yeah. an easy way of communicating information or misinformation is just like doing that. But it's so much harder to um, put in the work, put in the work to really get to know the issue intimately and to really then, then have a better understanding of even what we should be doing about that issue. So that was what I was going to say. If you're passionate about a cause, um, really be educated about everything about that. So I wasn't really passionate about a cause when I started, but I was passionate about a certain brand that I could use to diffuse my causes into. But I learned everything there was about that brand and modeled every, like I learned where they got their shirts, where they got printed. I really studied for a year before, when I was 15 for a year before I released anything. So wow. going back to the point, if you're passionate about a cause, like Nora is really passionate about sex trafficking. She's read the books, she's seen the documentaries, she travels around the world, she talks to people, like put in the work. And the other thing is the social media facade of if you're passionate about something, you're going to look at 
the person that's at the top. If I'm passionate about entrepreneurship, I'm going to look at Gary Vee. Right. Because that's, and I want to be there, but my little steps aren't taking me to Gary Vee's status fast enough. You have to totally rewire your brain right. to say, yep. if I'm affecting one, two, three people in my yep. community, then those are my good deeds. And I'm helping those people. Those people will tell three more people and it'll grow. It'll take years. But I mean, it's happened when we had big collaborations, we would look for even bigger, but then we'd have to bring it back to the core and say, okay, if we're doing this, my intention is for at least five people to be affected, literally five people to be affected by this. And you'll see that 40 people will be affected mm. by it. And it, it's it's better under promising over delivering than the other way around. Yeah. And we've done that for many, uh, if, we, if we get into it, We've done that for so many of our marketing campaigns. No, so let's let's get into it. Talk about that. So we collaborated with, after our collaboration with Nora, we collaborated with the singer Yuna from Malaysia. And each release, we like to do something that gives back to the fans and supporters by making them feel valued and included. Mm. So what we did was I bought a burner phone with a fake number. And I posted that number on like Twitter and Snapchat. And I told people, call this number. You'll find out who we're collaborating with the cause and the charity we're donating to. And I looked at my friend and I said, if 10 people call this number, I'm good. That's all I wanted. I think I even said one, but I'm not sure. If I, I, so if one person calls this number and we get to talk to them, the CEO of a company talks to one supporter, then my goal is accomplished. The phone cost me nothing, right. but just my time. Yep. So we posted the number and immediately we got dozens and dozens of calls, hmm. which was amazing. So we actually had to call people back and this was, this was a Saturday night when people could be out and doing things. And I would call people back and they'd be like, hey, I didn't think you'd call me back. I was like, like you took your time on a Saturday right. night. I'm, of course, I'm going to. But the reason that was so worth it, because if I said 100 calls and I only got 40, I would have yeah. been disappointed. Yeah. But I just wanted to touch one person because yeah. that one person is going to say, I spoke to, to the CEO of a company right. and they told me about this. Yep. And then we turned all these, uh, our incredible supporters into PR machines. Yeah. And they each tweeted who our collaboration was with, what our cause was on Twitter to their 300, 400 followers. And so it just created this, this web of everyone getting first access and just feeling very connected to the brand. And we do that with every release. We don't do that specific campaign, but every release we do something that tries to incorporate one or 10 or 100 of our supporters into the, the launch of the collection. That's a huge piece of advice. I think there's a lot of wisdom in there. We're, we're so good at taking all of our mess ups and bloopers and comparing that to the per people that we admire. You know, in this case, like a Gary Vee, you'd be looking at your own stuff and you're like, oh, this is like, I'm doing a, like a terrible job. Because <laughs> look at him, look what he's getting paid to do this and that. And they just bought this other company, blah, blah, blah. And that is harmful in so many ways to do that. Um, we all do it. We all do it. I mean, I do it every day. Yeah. I mean, I try actively not to do it, and I end up doing it multiple times a day. Um, whether it's somebody's podcast that has less, not a good, whatever, not a good conversationalist, bad information. That was a terrible, that's terrible production, and it just like poof, takes off. And I'm like, come on, I'm over here like busting my ass. Yeah. And it's, you know, everything from that to families going on better vacations or, um, you know, just like, which is so stupid because I know that's not what their life looks like. That is one moment and they shut off their camera and their kid kicked them in the shin or <laughs> like pooped on their leg or something, you know, it's not that perfect, but we choose to remain in that photo. 
And you didn't do that with this particular campaign. And you said, no, like one or 10. And you got dozens, which obviously exceeded your expectations and it made you feel good about the work that you're doing. Um, that's really huge. That's a really huge point. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, especially for young entrepreneurs or even if you're 40 and you're looking at someone that's 35 that has more than you, how many years have they been doing it? Yeah. Because that's... It's experience and who you know and just getting those connections. An overnight success is a complete myth. It's not. You were working 10 years to right. be an overnight success. Right. People just saw it and said, whoa, where did this guy come from? Yeah. How lucky was he? And it's like, no, they had it, luck had nothing to do with it. And it was, you know, blood, sweat, and tears. It was that five to nine hustle when, you know, wife and kids go to bed or whatever. When you're, If you're not married, kids are out partying or friends are out partying and you're in your house just plugging away, making the phone calls, writing the emails. Um, and this applies with entrepreneurship, but also any sort of, like say you're not interested in entrepreneurship, but you want to go, you want to give all your dams to this cause or this social issue and you want to travel here or live there and do that thing. It's the same. It's the same. That's even easier to, I feel like, to rewire your brain to affect one or two people because that is your cause. Yeah, Like sure, yeah. That That's what you're doing. You're trying to affect people at, from the ground up. Um, I mean, I wouldn't know, but yeah, no, I think it makes sense. There's a lot of examples out there for, you know, we're young and we're still trying to figure it out, but there's a lot of examples that would confirm what you say. So I think you can say that in full confidence. So what's the future for you, for, you know, you and your wife and what you guys are doing and the clothing company and your design work and your branding stuff? Like, what do you, what's the big dream? What do you, if you could write it out and it would happen, what would that be? Giving more dams. There you go. <laughs> just playing. Um, more specifically, <laughs> but I get it. Um, so for the clothing, I want to continue doing clothing collaborations with uh, either brands or people like Noor. Like we did work with Lupe Fiasco. We worked with Johnny. We worked with Yuna. Just these mm. incredible people that have a strong foundation in knowing who they are and what they want to do in the world. And working with them, tapping into their networks and their platforms to affect and touch these charities, causes, and not only that, but the supporters that are supporting us to help support these charities. So I want to continue just growing on that model and find incredible people to collaborate with. I mean, for Nora and I, we push each other a lot to to incorporate things into our business or our work that we know from our own personal experience. So my whole thing with Nora is um, branding and marketing and things like that and kind of getting her message out there to mm. more people and really cementing it. Her whole thing is doing what you love and being your truest and most positive self. Uh, so just, I mean... You saw we were in New York together doing right. that whole thing, just supporting each other. And I think that's what's most important is that core support group. Which is so cool, by the way. You guys <laughs> know that, right? Like that you guys get to work together and like travel together. Yeah, like, that's such a blessing. It is. And I personally feel like there's not many people, I'm just speaking from what I see, that yeah. would be okay with their wife being five, ten times more successful and popular than they are. It's very important to to just renew your intentions personally and not only your spouse, but like the people in your own community, don't be envious of them or jealous of them because you, you guys, from an outside perspective, you look like a bunch of fools tearing yeah. each other down. Yeah. And that's why other communities won't support you if you can't support yeah. yourself. Yeah. So I think just doing that for each other and showing how we do that for each other. So hopefully the next couple or the next teenagers will come along and be like, mm -hmm. hey, we want to, we just want to be, we don't want to force being role models but we want to be role models through the way that yeah. we already have the platform we can't right. take that away right we can't strip that down now it's just how, how now you steward it's just, that well yeah and it's not about growing and like giving up our values to 
grow that following. It's about sustaining that and showing people how to act with each other and with other people and do what we do at a high level with your values intact and knowing who you are. And I mean, there's a lot of people that knew us from when we were at zero followers. Now they're there when 200 or 11,000 followers. Yeah. Um, so I think support is the most important thing. And that's what we want to do with the things that we give a damn about. Yeah. And that branding. We're going to take a quick bunny trail here, but it, it ties into something you said about like you, you know, supporting your wife, your now wife, who has, you know, a much bigger platform in terms of like numbers and, and like that. So we live in a very, um, especially here in, well, I shouldn't say especially, I don't know, but in America, it's a very, there's, it's a very shaky climate, um, both like socially and politically and everything um, for Muslims right now right? It's not stable to say the least. And what you just said, I think is really important because that's not how most um, ignorant Americans would portray a Muslim man and a Muslim woman marrying each other. Like there's this perception out there of, you know, oppression and, you know, all the stigmas that are out there. What's the thought process you go through and how do you just stay positive every day and try to continue speaking truth into, you know, into the platform you have and the people you have around you coming from a Muslim perspective in a climate where there's not a lot of trust and there's a lot of like false stigmas and just bad information out there. Personally, in terms of that conversation, I think I'm at, to use this term lately, a disadvantage. I don't necessarily look like what people think Muslims look like. Sure. Um, when I'm traveling no- with Noor, that's I get randomly right. selected yep. everywhere I go. Yeah. <laughs> On the train, we literally got ran- I got randomly selected, which is funny. But but say I did look like what people think a Muslim looks like. My whole thing is obviously being yourself, but that's easy to do. Is giving people as few reasons as possible to hate you or dislike you because they're going to attach your religion to your character on like just because they're mm. just naturally attra- drawn towards that. Um, so crossing the street, like the simplest things, crossing the street saying, thank you. Someone holds the door open or you hold the door open for someone like, you know, you have no idea what your small talk or conversation will do for someone who Mm. thought differently about people that look like you. Um, and just giving people as few reasons as possible not to support what you do, but also just not to attach your religion to your character. Or if they're going to attach your religion to your character, make your character so beautiful that they attach the image of Islam to that beautiful character instead of what the media is portraying. I guess that would be my No, that makes sense. Answer, yeah. yeah, no, that's helpful. Thank you. Okay, before I ask the last question, which you probably know it's coming because I asked your wife this as well a few days ago. Before I ask that one, what do you want people to know about you? Where can they find the work you're doing? And if they do go onto the Googles and check you out, what do you want them to look for? Like specific well, if you go onto the Googles and search up my name, it'll be Adam... And Nortigori. I don't okay. exist as an individual person anymore because okay. I'm attached to Nort. <laughs> like that's actually what happens. But um, what I want people to, I mean, eventually I want people to know me as a person that's able to put his creative touch on multiple businesses. Right now it's it's my parents' business, my own business. Um, but they can find me at uh, Adam Kafif, K-H-A-F-I-F on Instagram is the main platform. And then from there, you'll be able to find the Listen Up Clothing, L-I-S-N-U-P Clothing, Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff. Um, really, I just want people to know that I am every single day doing something that I love. Yeah. Um, and hopefully doing something that benefits others. But every day, just like everyone else, I'm renewing my intention and making sure that I'm focused on 
where I want to be and what I want to do with the business, whether financially or impact wise. So that I guess is something that I want to be known for and I want people to know me that probably if somebody wants to make a Wikipedia page about me, feel free and just write that in there. Just write that in there. Come back to this podcast. But yeah, just doing positive work through my creative outlets because I I really don't think, sorry, I'm going to go off on like a little tangent, but like community work doesn't have to be limited to planting gardens and like picking up trash. It's doing your painting, doing your music, doing your clothing and directly or indirectly affecting your community around you. So you can paint about things or use the money from your painting to help support. But we need creatives in this positive because yeah. Without art and creativity, our mind just goes. And art and creativity is saturated by people who don't have that yeah. mindset, right? Because they're it's very self centered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we need we need more of those um, intentionally creating art. Yeah. And, yeah, just doing what you're good at and aligning your passions with your values is what's really important. That's my whole message, and that's what I would say you will find in ten years if you Google my name. Okay, I love it. Hypothetical question: Someday. Apparently, I'm close enough to you guys at that point that I'm doing her eulogy and yours. <laughs> but someday, I'm going to give you the eulogy. Week. Yeah, that's right. Oh, hopefully not. Um, well, maybe that'd be good too. But um, yeah, I'm going to give you a eulogy. I'm going to speak your legacy over your family and friends and the people that have been affected by your clothing and your art and your creativity. What do you hope that I would say on that day? That I passed the values that I learned at a young age from my parents directly in the same form without any dilution to my kids Mm. and that they will do that for their kids as well and that would be everything that we spoke about on the podcast we can get into that but right just totally the hustle the family center centricism whatever and just combining what you love with doing good for your others and your values doing something you're passionate about and doing combine that with your values um that's what I want to be known for, but I want to be known for passing those values and that same drive down to my kids Yeah, and my community. That's what it comes down to. I mean, when you guys have kids and they're the biggest blessing ever, like that's, I mean, yes, I have dreams that I want to go after and things I want to tackle and a million and one things that I want to do in my lifetime. But all of, in my mind, all of that is for naught if I don't pass it on to my kids. Cause that's, I mean, I brought them into the world, not just to occupy one more number in the population list. I brought them in so they could grow up to be agents of change. Um, the unsilent people, as I call them, people that give a damn. You know, I didn't bring them in just like, oh, yeah, just haphazardly. Like they are here so that I can raise them to be exactly what you described. So, yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah, passing that on to the next generation successfully is is what it's about. Yeah. I love that. My turn for a question. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. I'm cool. going to steal the. Uh, so I had a podcast okay. about a month ago interview. Okay. Um, and he asked me this question, so I want to ask. Over there, there's a picture that I have in my room of you. What is the scene of that picture? Shout out to Bobby. Shout out to Bobby. I love you, Bobby. Um, what is in that picture? Yeah, it's it's a really large dining room table with a lot of people around it. People of different ideas and values and skin color and religion, religious backgrounds and ethnic backgrounds, all eating together um, and drinking together in harmony. Because even though a lot of those, a lot of us could disagree on a lot of things, there are a few key things that we could agree on. And we celebrate those around the table. So it's a big dining room table, lots of just a feast. Nice. That's what it is. Nice. Yeah. 
I love that. Food love is that. universal. It is. Much, except for pork and alcohol. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. Except for a few things. But just generally, yeah, it, it is. It, it's the one thing that we can all. I have so many ideas for how to get people that disagree on stuff to come around a table because when you, if you get a vehement non Trump supporter and a vehement Trump supporter around a table and like put some food out, automatically the tension goes down. It just does. Yeah. Because we have to do this thing multiple times a day. We need to be hydrated and we need to be nourished through food. And this has happened. Like I've, if I'm sitting, if I'm hungry, if I'm thirsty, and if I'm in a different state of mind, if that's me and I sit around with somebody I don't agree with, I'm way more prone to just flip out versus if we had a big spread around here and we get to talk about the food and, you know, the grapes and the cheese and the this and the that. Oh my gosh, that tasted so good. You know, it just, it puts everybody in a different state of mind. So let's have more of our discussions and our disagreements around food and around like it just yeah. changes the tone of the conversation right it's interesting yeah presidential yeah. presidential debate with cheese and crackers let's do it <laughs> maybe that instead of behind a podium with all this like pressure in life just like have it around a meal that's funny i have yeah, so many ideas a... around doing that more like on video and on podcasting because it just yeah it just changes the my buddy and i actually did it. we sat down in brooklyn the other night and we just turned the mic on and we sat there for an hour and a half and talked and the conversation was and we, now we were not in disagreement about anything but we just just talked about things that were important to us and topics that we were thinking about. And the conversation was beautiful because it happened around, I mean, I would, I was letting out just moans of delight about the food, just like, just sitting there, just like, oh my, it was this amazing vegetarian ramen at this Korean place. And yeah, just all of that, all of the, just the whole experience changes the way we approach yeah. agreements or disagreements. I think everything should happen over food. That's a good point. That's nice. I like that. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Um, I really appreciate your perspective in your life and I wish you continued success. And for those who are listening, go buy something from Listen Up Clothing because not 10%, 50% goes to the charity of your choice that you choose. And the other 50% goes to rent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the other 50%, if I if I told you, just look up rent uh, in Washington, D.C., you'll know what the other 50% goes to. <laughs> um, so yeah, thanks so much. We'll do this again, Thank hopefully. you, absolutely. Thanks so much for joining Adam and me today. I hope you enjoyed it, learned from it, and are encouraged by it. Go visit listenupclothing.com. That's L-I-S-N-U-P clothing.com. L-I-S-N-U-P clothing.com to learn more about what Adam and his team are doing and how you can get involved. Make sure to follow them everywhere on social media at listenupclothing. Again, that's L-I-S-N-U-P clothing. If you enjoy the work they're doing, go buy a shirt or a hat and also make sure to go say hey to them on social media. As we wrap up, a few quick reminders for you. If you're willing to put in a little bit of extra work, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tell a friend about the stories you're hearing and encourage them to listen. You could take a screenshot of listening to this podcast and share it online in your Instagram story or whatnot. And lastly, if you want to help us make more podcasts, you can also give us a few dollars a month. That helps us tremendously. Everything about this podcast still comes out of my pocket, a few people that are giving on Patreon, and the occasional ad that we run. You can find out more about that opportunity at patreon.com forward slash let's give a damn. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash let's give a damn. That's all for this week. I hope you're enjoying these stories. I am so grateful for your time and attention. 
the most valuable thing that each one of us have is time. So when you give me an hour of your time a week, that means the freaking world to me. It really, really does. Love you all. Bye for now.